I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And I want to just talk about that for a few minutes, about the problem with pain and how we as a Christian deal with pain. And we talked about this last night in our fellowship. Um, we got together and just discussed this. And I really kind of really d- debated if I want to talk about pain because it's not such a motivational topic. <laughs> how many of you have ever been in so much pain that you were just like, you thought you were going to die? Or how many of you have ever had, I know Pastor Adam broke his back. I mean, I mean I've been in some, I've had headaches where I thought I was just, my head was going to like blow up. Um, we live in a society that is really centered on pain relief, on pain-free living. Uh, pain-free living internally and externally. And the American culture and the church, the, the American church has really been a part of this, uh, preaching a gospel, a pain-free gospel. And what I mean by that is that we by nature uh, obviously don't want to live in pain. And that's not fun whenever someone is in pain or when they in a, where they are in chronic pain. But pain is something that, um, that exists because pain is always, and this is the first point I want to make, pain is always the result of a disharmony with the finished work and man's relationship with his creator. When there's a disharmony with that, when there's a breakdown in our relationship with God, the instant result is pain, internal pain or external pain. Um, what I mean by that is, is that whenever there's a, when we come out, when we're, when we're out of sync with our relationship with God, or when we lose sight of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that all of our sins have been paid for, that we stand complete in Christ, that there's nothing about our lives that is, that is not enough before Christ, because we've been made complete in Christ. Whenever we fall out of that kind of thinking, and we call that thinking in faith, whenever we fall out of thinking in faith, to God or trusting God for our life or trusting God for people or trusting God for circumstances. Whenever that happens, the result is pain, either physical or, 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 or psychic pain or internal pain. I just want to talk about this for a few minutes because I think in the Christian church today, we really don't know how to deal with pain. We don't actually, we really don't know how to talk to people who are in pain. We really don't. And um, whenever I counsel people that are in a very difficult, tragic place in their life, it, uh, one of the first things I always feel is that I don't have anything to tell them because I haven't really been down their road. And you, you have this sense of insufficiency. You ever feel that way? You're talking with somebody and you find out, you know, something tragic has just happened. And you don't really know what to say. And you feel like if you say anything, it's going to be the wrong thing to say or it's just going to be... Or you're in a lot of suffering. You're in a lot of pain. And then someone comes to you and they try to do something, the Christian thing, and to counsel you... And whatever they say, whatever sincere intention that they have, they just say it. It makes you feel worse. <laughs> like, you know, and I think that, um, you know, we, know, we, need to know, we need to understand what is pain and what is God's, how does God want us to relate to it? And, um, and, and the human factor of pain, why, why does that exist? And so I want to try to do a few, ser- a few sermons on this. The Lord will, will give it. And I want to talk about this topic. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 for, for a quick moment. And this is really the first time that we see in the Bible, this is in the hermeneutics, uh, how to study the Bible, the study of how to study the Bible, the first law of mention. What that means is that it's the first time that's mentioned in the Bible on this topic. And it's very, that, 
When you see something mentioned for the first time in the Bible, it's very significant. We ought to take note. And it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a zero point. It's like the baseline for the topic. And so in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God says to Eve, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. And he's referring to, God is referring to childbirth. But this is really a, um, this is for across the board. God is saying that, that because of this decision in your life, there's going to be a lot of pain. I think we all know people, maybe in our families or ourselves, that have made decisions that just create a lot of pain for people. And they, they make decisions and pain is caused because there's a failure of not our, not a failure on their part for our expectations. But truly, it's pain is caused because, and brokenness and sadness happens because you look at that situation and you just know as, a, as an eternal person that something is wrong and this is not the way it should be. I was sharing last night that when my mom passed away, suddenly we didn't get to say goodbye to her. Um, it was just something sudden. And it was just so like, it was so, it, it hit us hard, so hard that, you know, we're dealing with the funeral arrangements and everything. And, and it just doesn't hit you until everything's done. And then it's just kind of like, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And I think, I remember the first emotion that I had was, it's like, I was really angry. I was really angry that, and I remember just being in the car, I was driving with my wife in the car, and I just remember thinking, like, I just remember, like, crying out to God, like, like why, do, why, do, why do people have to die? This is so stupid. I was so angry. And I was just surprised at my reaction. And it was just that anger of, of why is this, why is this happening? Why do people die? Why does death have to happen? And I think that that is the age-old question that um, we as human beings are always asking. It's the biggest question, and it's the biggest question that God wants to answer. Why? Sometimes the answer to our whys is so big, we wouldn't even understand the answer. And that's why God has to wait. And that's what patience does. Patience in our life prepares us to receive the big answer down the road. And when you have people that ask you, why does this happen? Why is this not happening? When there is a sorrow in a person's life and that big question of why is happening, sometimes we should not even really rush to answer that question. We should just present Christ. Listen and then present Christ. And not try to, not try to logically fix everything. Well, you're not thinking right about that or you shouldn't be so emotional. It's like when Job had his thing happen, when Job had his trials, remember, I mean, how many of you have read the book of Job at least a little bit? Okay, you see the book of Job and you see a man crying out to God. Um, you see a man wrestling. He's out of sync with his relationship with God because he doesn't understand what just happened to him, to his family, uh, to all of his possessions and everything, his inheritance. And you see him asking why, why God? And God doesn't really answer at first. And God allowed, God allowed Job to, to cry out, to ask the big questions, to complain, to say all the stuff. But where God really pushed back in Job's life was when he became self-righteous. Let me explain that for a second. Pain can make a person self-righteous. And how can that do that? Well, when, someone, when we suffer a lot and we really feel like we're the only one that's suffering and then nobody else understands our pain, we need to understand how to deal with that. Because if we don't know how to deal with that, we're going to become self-righteous. What I mean by that is, suppose somebody struggles with mental illness, and that's a big thing today, mental illness, okay, mental illness, and it just covers a wide, wide range of, 
of just things that are happening in, 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 our, in our minds. And when, when someone says, I struggle with mental illness, nobody understands me. And that if we don't know how to deal with that with, with Christ and with the word, what will happen is that that will make us like uh, self-righteous. Like no one understands my pain and uh, no one understands me. And what it does is it, allow, it blocks us from receiving any kind of counsel. Does that make sense? When I say, hey, you know what? You have no idea what you're talking about. Don't give me those Bible verses because, you know, you just can't have, you know, what I hear sometimes people say, well, there's just no one, one blanket answer for every problem. And there really is. There really is one blanket answer for every problem. And, and, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to risk being called as, you know, an, absolute, uh, an absolutionist or whatever you call those people, uh, simple-minded. And that really is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's really the cross of Jesus Christ where Christ suffered and died for all the pain of the world. And, and so here God says to Eve, I'm going to greatly multiply your sorrow. And we see this today in the world that we live in. You know, there's a part of us that understands that we came from a perfect world. We came from a perfect place. There's a part of us in every human being that remembers the Garden of Eden, even though we never lived there. There's a part of us that remembers the absolute perfection of, of Eden, the absolute beauty of utopia. Does that make sense? There's a part of us that remembers perfect union with our mates, Adam or Eve. You know, there's, that, there's a part of us that knows that. Does that make sense? There's a part of us that, that remembers inside of us in our resident and our the residual memory that we have that came from Adam many, many generations ago, we remember what it was like perfect union with, with God. As a matter of fact, um, Jewish rabbis say that the very thing that every one of every human being desires in their life, the core thing, the deepest desire, the greatest thing that every human being that knows God or does not know God truly desires and truly misses in their life is the tree of life. Because that tree is a place where Adam and Eve could eat and they could be healed. Because, you know, Adam and Eve, though they had not sinned yet, they had questions. They were human beings. They, they had not sinned. They didn't have pain in their life because of sin. But they were naturally, they were people that were natural people. And they had that opportunity to go to the tree of life. And for us, the Christian, what is the tree of life? What's the tree of life for the believer? Jesus. Jesus, Yeah. What, what, like one more, what, what, maybe a little more specific. I mean, that's very specific. But what, what is a, what's the tree of life for the believer? The old rugged cross, right? That tree where Jesus was, was nailed to voluntarily. And so we really understand that there's a reality of pain. And pain was not part of the original plan in Eden. God did not have a plan for, God, well, God had a plan, but God, God's original plan for the Garden of Eden was not pain and suffering. And so... When Adam and Eve sinned, they began to experience pain. And because creation has fallen, pain is a factor in every aspect of our life. So we work overtime. We work overtime in our world to create pain-free living, right? Pain relief medication. Um, you know, heavy medication that people become addicted to, painkillers. You know, one thing I've noticed, and I said this last night, is that people that I've known in the past that have been on heavy painkillers or addicted to painkillers have become, uh, become in some way aggressive, maybe on the border of belligerent, angry, reactionary people. Do you know why? Because and this is an interesting psychological thing about pain. pain the, the purpose of pain in our life is for us to understand 
that we live in a broken world, that we are broken people, and that we need to surrender to God. That we need to humble ourselves and lay down at the cross of Christ and allow God's judgment in our life, the cross, the payment of all of our sins. Pain tells us that there's something is wrong. But when we, through medication or through entertainment or through these different kinds of distractions that we run to because we're in so much pain inside, when we run to those things, pain is not being dealt with and it's actually being masked over. So what, it, what pain becomes is frustration and anger. That makes sense? I, I know and we've all done this. When we've suffered something so tragic in our life and so hard to deal with, we, we, have our, we have our shame caves that we run to, like this cave. We run to this thing like go to, run to the bar. We run to Netflix or we run to a relationship you know, or we run to drugs or we run to these different things. And this is all sublimation. These are all substitutes for the cross in our life where we live for a temporary moment where things feel okay, but the, but the great issue is not resolved. And that is, is that I'm in pain because of X, Y, and Z. And so we live in a society that, is, that has just been tailored to live in a pain-free society. And what has that done? It's created angry people. It's created frustrated people. And it does not create humility or brokenness. If some of you, and I, some, I know some of you in this room, have traveled to some third world countries, right? I mean, how, how many here have traveled? I know Raul and Kylie have traveled, right? Um, you know, like, I mean, I, a lot of us have traveled to some countries that we would call third world. I don't know what they call it, but where life is very hard. And we see life there, and, and, and we see that people don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of money, or they don't have a lot of possessions. But something I've always noticed is, is that when you go to countries like this, it seems to me, and this is not always the case, but a lot of times it seems this way to me, is that it's easier for people to, to start to laugh. Uh, it's easier for people to give what they have. It's easier for people to be a little bit lighter about everything. Because they live in a world of suffering and, and hardship, and they understand they're in a place of just brokenness. And I don't mean brokenness like in the old sin nature. It's just a place where they understand that life is unpredictable. Life is not a mathematical equation that we can write out and say, if I do X, Y, and Z, then the result is going to be joy and happiness and pleasure. Okay? Um, and so um, pain is a good thing. It tells us that something's wrong. And it all begins with Genesis 3, verse 16. One thing I noticed that I was thinking about when I was in, in Hawaii was, you know, you're in this hotel and everything in the hotel, everything in that, in that resort we went to was geared for pleasure. To take, to make you feel like that you're a king or a queen, that you are like the center of attention. And it was funny because um, when we're at a restaurant or something, many times we would meet Filipinos. And that place is just so interesting. There's so many Filipinos working there. And they're just such hard workers. They're just such, um, you know, they're just, I think they're amazing people. I don't know them very well. And when we met some of them, um, they just expressed to us, they weren't complaining. They just said, you know, people come here and it's very hard because we try to meet their expectations because um, this is their utopia and everything needs to be perfect, but it's not. You know, sometimes the food is late. Sometimes the food is cold. Sometimes it's not what they ordered. Or something's not right. And we have angry, we have, we have people that are angry. And I think, though, for, for when, we look at, when, we look at, when we look at the word pleasure and when we look at the word enjoyment, we have to understand that every pleasure that exists in our life is because somebody suffered. Somebody worked very hard. 
somebody, and this is something that we, that we really strive to teach our kids, you know, that like somebody really worked hard for this so that you can enjoy this. That pleasure does not come for free, doesn't come free. Um, I, in the church, I think that we preach the gospel sometimes, a pain-free gospel, a, pain, a, a pain-free salvation. And when we look at any type of pleasure that we ever experience, there's someone behind the scenes working very hard and paying the price. And so when we look at, when we look at these things, just to keep this in context about, about pain, um, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And I want to just take a moment and just kind of define the purpose of pain and what it really is and um, what is the what is the what is the long the the long look that we're looking at in painful moments in second corinthians 4 verse 17 it says for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory light affliction Somebody brought up last night that a light affliction is mentioned light because when you think of the the reward, it's just it's just such a light thing. But when you look at Christ, when we walk into painful circumstances, and then suddenly Christ appears in that circumstance through the Word or through uh, the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to us, His comfort, uh, His joy, His his words, uh, his healing. When we see Christ uh, show up in the midst of our pain, uh, we look at our pain as a light affliction. Like this is nothing compared to to the treasures of Christ. You know, uh, Paul said, "I count everything as dung." Like I count everything like the, I just you know like everything is just the big C word in, in, in his life compared to Christ. It's like. You know, because I'm winning Christ. And when we look at Christ, um, when we look at what is happening in heaven today, the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. They're, the, the center of attention in heaven today is not what's happening in Afghanistan or, or what is painful that's happening in the world today, which is very painful and very, very sad. But it really is Jesus Christ. It's the throne of God that the angels are worshiping the holiness of God, the holiness of Christ. And why is holiness so beautiful to us? Because before it was unattainable. It, it, was, it was a standard in our life that we could never meet. Holiness was something that was, was not there, and it just created pain in our life because we couldn't get there. And holiness for us today is not a moral status that I have achieved by obeying the Ten Commandments. Holiness is a gift to us. David called the holiness of God uh, in, his, in the book of Psalms, he said, the beauties of his holiness. How can holiness be beautiful? Because it's Christ. The just died for the unjust. The perfect died for the imperfect. Uh, the, uh, the beautiful became dirty and broken for us. That's Jesus Christ and that's beautiful. And you know something, maybe you and I don't understand the beauties of Christ today. But as time goes on, as we begin to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, he becomes more and more beautiful. And those things that used to be such a distraction to us, those things that used to dominate us in depression or temptation, those things that used to condemn us so deeply, 
becomes something that's just a light thing in, in the light of in the in the glory of Jesus Christ. And the light affliction is but for a moment working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And I think I'd like to write a book. I've been thinking about, I think I've been thinking about it for like maybe ten years, eight years, a book about just suffering. And I just want to write it. I want to write about it. I know it's not going to be on the New York bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers list because nobody wants to read about suffering uh, unless you're really suffering. But I just want to. I want to write something about the the weight of glory. I just want to. I want to write about what is the weight of glory and what it is it for us as a believer. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis says this, and I, we, I read this last night, but I want to read it again. Pain insists. Pain insists upon being attended to. You can't ignore pain. It's something that happens that, that just requires our attention. And God allows it because God, C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. He's shouting at us. He's not yelling at us because he's angry, but he's speaking. He's got a megaphone. It's like he, uh, C.S. Lewis calls it, it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf and a deaf a deaf and dud uh, uh, world that 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 has just has no there's no perception of who he is. Um, I want to finish up with this: the two great pains of the cross. So now we understand that there's pain where it came came from. Uh, that it's a part of our reality. It's something that um, we need to understand that that uh, because we have this idea of a per- perfect world, a perfect utopia that we came from that we that we fell out of because of sin in the garden um, we have these standards and these ideals that when they're not met it causes pain in our life um, it causes suffering and life the the life that we live in I mean I remember as a younger person looking in my future thinking like my life's going to look like this it's going to look like this it's going to look like this and here's my mathematical equation this is why it's going to be this way and this is why it's going to be this is why it's going to be um, predictable in my life. But life is not something that can be mathematically predicted and that, that can be something that can be um, planned out and structured because, because the baseline of every human experience is going to be that pain and that, that brokenness. And so two great pains of the cross. And I want to look at the first pain is the pain of salvation in First in Peter 3, verse 18. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to, get, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. The phrase born from above, uh, as our Lord used it, does not mean to be saved from hell or sin necessarily, but that I'm born into the realm in which he lives. We are born again by pain, not necessarily pain to ourselves, any more than our natural birth means pain to us. You know, when we were born into this world, uh, we did not know anything about our mother's pain. Uh, we, we knew nothing. We did not experience our mother's pain. Um, and the same thing with being born again into the kingdom of God. When you made a decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you know, um, if you haven't done that, uh, Jesus Christ paid for our sins, laid his life down, the just for the unjust, so that we could have fellowship and that we could know God, but that we could be forgiven. Hey, guys. And um, uh, the pain of salvation is a pain that is 
a pain that we never felt. Okay? It's a pain that we never felt. So good to see the Flemings here. <laughs> They're from New Orleans, by the way. Um, the pain of suffering, the pain of salvation is a pain that we never, ever experienced because it's something that Christ experienced for us. And uh, we're born into a realm where the Lord lives by pain to God, and the pain of God is exhibited on Calvary. And so that's the first pain, the pain of Calvary, that we never experienced. And that's amazing. Like, salvation in a lot of ways for us is something that we never experienced, the pain, that pain of salvation. But the second pain is something that, something that we experience. And um, we're talking about pain today. We're talking about how we relate to pain and where does pain come from. And um, the pain of sanctification... And I don't want to, I don't want to, don't misunderstand me. If you haven't heard me preach before, I'm not one of these morbid sanctification preachers that really will work, tell you, um, you've got to, you've got to work out your own salvation and your own energy. And this is really the goal of your life to be sanctified because the goal of our life is to really know Jesus Christ. And the goal of our life is to walk in his plan. And to, his goal in our life is to not even to even try to make ourselves better or to even stop sinning. Because we can't do that. The goal in our life is to know is to know Christ and to be conformed to His image. And as we as we gaze at Christ, as we look at Jesus Christ, as we gaze on, as we turn away from sin and doubt and, and depression, we turn away and we look to Christ. That's called repentance. Repentance is not promising to God, "Hey, I'm never going to do that again." My son is at this place where, when he gets in trouble, he says to me, "He says, Daddy, I will never do that again." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, sure you will. Sure you won't. <laughs> you know." And, and it's like, that's not repentance. God is not asking us to promise to him we're never going to do that again. Because, like, that's not a promise that maybe we, maybe we can carry that out. Maybe we can't. I don't know. But that's not really what God is looking for. Repentance means, it, means, it literally means a turning away. It means I'm turning away from that idol and I'm just turning to Christ. I'm turning away from that experience and I'm looking at Christ. And as I look at Christ... In Isaiah 45, verse 11, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be delivered from those things. You know, if somebody comes out of a life of just brokenness, a life of sin, a life of addiction, it's like we really do not want to be talking to them the majority of the time about how they need to change, how how they are an alcoholic or how they're a drug addict. We really need to be informing people about who they are in Christ and who Jesus Christ is because the measure that we become occupied with Christ in the Gospels is the measure that we're going to experience divine deliverance in our life. You know, whenever I get confused in my Christianity, whenever things get really crazy, and I kind of feel like I lose my way, and yes, that happens. It happens to anybody. Whenever I feel that way, you know what I do? I always go to the Gospels. And I just look at Christ. I just read about Jesus. I just read about what he did, how he talked to his father. I, I read about how he healed people. I read about his messages to people. I read about how he prayed in the mountains. Uh, I, I just look at Christ, and I just don't look at myself, and I just try not to even figure out what's going on in my in my life because we can't figure out how evil, how broken our heart is in Jeremiah seventeen eleven. We got to look at Christ, and so the pain of salvation, and there's the pain of sanctification, and Paul here writes in, in Galatians two verse twenty, and I want to close with this. Uh, it says this: I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And I love that kind of living. It's no longer I that live. Yeah, I'm alive, but I'm not in control of my life. I'm not directing the paths of my life. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, I believe it says that it's not in man to direct his own paths. It's like, I'm not directing my own life. 
You know? Not. And when, we're, when we're, we're allowing Christ to live in us, when we yield to him in Romans chapter 6, in our mind, we yield to him in our... Even if you're not experiencing a level of sanctification in your life for many years, maybe there's years there's something you're struggling with. It's like, you know, it's very easy for us to like either, okay, that is causing me a lot of pain, so I'm just going to ignore it. That's going to create more frustration. That's going to create more sin. But when we look away from that and say, God, I'm trusting you for my sanctification. God, I'm trusting you for my sanctification. For it is God who works in you to do of his good will and of his good pleasure. That's sanctification. That's my theology of, things, of, of, of sanctification. Me personally. Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But a lot of times preachers just stop there, right? Work, your, you know, work, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Oh my God, I've got to work hard because if I don't, I'm going to get struck by lightning. Or I'm going to die or something bad's going to happen to me. That's not what that verse says. Because there's a comma there. I don't know if it's a comma, but the, the sentence doesn't end there. It continues, for it is God. For it is God. That's what we live in the morning when you wake up and you just feel like, you just, I don't know, you just feel like you've been sleeping in dirt all night or something. You just feel, you just feel horrible. You feel like guilty or whatever. I don't know what it is. Sometimes we wake up and we have these moods that we're in. You know something? We just need to quote that verse. For it is God yeah. who works in me to do of his good. Like, you know, sometimes people think, well, pastors really got, you know, they're great. They're perfect. They got it all. They're doing it, what they're doing because they, they perfected the Christian. No, it's not that way at all. <laughs> it is not that way at all. I wish I could say that, but that's not the way it is. It is just, it is just me whenever I'm like, God, I don't want to do this. It's like I say, God, for it is God who works in me. Remember when Jeremiah wanted to quit the ministry? He said, I want to quit the ministry. I want to quit. I want to throw in the towel. It says, in the same sentence, Jeremiah says, but your word burned inside of me like a fire. And I could not quit. I couldn't quit. I couldn't quit. I love that verse. Pain of sanctification is, is where I have been crucified with Christ. And crucifixion is a painful thing. It means not in the theological sense, but in the spiritual sense being made one with Jesus Christ, and that cost me pain. Why? Because what's causing me pain is, is that I'm not living in my flesh, and I'm not living in my own will. And when I say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done, whenever we pray that prayer, peace is always going to follow. Mm. Whenever you pray, God, not my will be done, but thine be done, the peace of God is going to always follow. It always, it's going to always follow. Um, and so Paul is saying here that he is deliberately willing to give up his right to himself, the, self, the right for self-comfort. And, and I'm going to finish with this, that, you know, what are, the, what are the things in our life that we do for self-comfort? You know, what are these things that we allow in our life that we reward ourselves with that really create a continuation of bad, uh, of bad decisions and, and wrong thinking? And that needs to end because when we look at Christ... When we're in pain, when we don't understand the reasons why, when Job is, is saying his whole speech for so many chapters, and then suddenly he looks at God and he understands that he's a, cre- he's a creature and that he, that he lives in a very broken world. When we look at Christ, we're looking at resolution. We're looking at answers. You know, um, I woke up this morning just very burdened for two things, Afghanistan and for New Orleans, for, for Louisiana. And it's, you know, we know people there. And, you know, we know there's a pastor there and, and, um, that, we, that we have. And there's people there that we know. There's friends that I know there. And we don't know what's going to happen there. And, and so, like, that city just keeps getting wailed on every, all the time. I mean, this is a, this, on this day, right? Is this, the, is this the anniversary of Katrina? And it's got the same 
winds, wind speed and everything and in the same location and everything, like just just west of, of New Orleans. It's like, what's, it's like, God, what? Like, how, how much can this city experience? You know, like, how much can these people experience? You know, we drove through Lake Charles um, months and months ago, and we just saw, you know, the devastation still. Roofs are still covered with plastic, and, you know, people are, I mean, we meet a lot of people in the area here that are from New Orleans that, that moved here because of Katrina. And, you know, you look at that, and what do you say to these people? I don't know what to say to them. We just got to look at Christ. And we look in a very broken world. And when we understand our perspective and say, you know what, I don't have answers for that. I don't know why this is happening. But I do know that this world is out of control. Creation is broken. It's a runaway train on a collision course with, with destruction. But one hope is this, is that Christ doesn't change. And that we can look at Jesus Christ. I have a story to tell you. <clears throat> and this may help, help, you, help us uh, in, our, in our hope. <clears throat> In time of tragedy and time of pain, uh, there's a pastor. He's a he's in our church, Greater Grace. He's a pastor who lives in England now, Pastor John Boyce, and his grandmother lives in Ukraine. <clears throat> his grandmother lived in Ukraine, and she was Polish. And this part of Ukraine, which is the western part of Ukraine, which borders eastern Poland, and when the Soviets marched in after the the, the Nazis withdrew. And the new, you know, the new, the new borders began to be drawn um, right after World War II of the countries, Ukraine and Poland. Um, all Poles and, and whoever, whoever you were, if you didn't want to be a Soviet citizen, you had to leave within 48 hours. Mm. That means you had to leave your apartment, your house, your, your generations of living there. And if you did not leave um, in time, then you were stuck there and you were going to become a Soviet citizen and you'd never be able to cross that iron curtain. Pastor John Boyce's mother, grandmother, I understand was a believer. <clears throat> and uh, they did everything they could and they almost didn't get out. And they were, um, uh, it was just a mad rush to the train station like we see now in, in Kabul. People running to the airport to, to try to get out. And, and um, just this absolute chaos at the train station in, in the city called Lviv. And um, by some miracle, uh, his grandmother uh, got on the last train leaving Poland, uh, leaving that city to cross over the, the, new, uh, the new border with Poland that became the um, Iron Curtain. And, she, and he tells us a story that as, as she left, um, she looked out the, the train window and they could see that they were putting up these iron gates and these bars on the train tracks mm-hmm. that was literally the last train and there were people at the train station still there uh, that could not get out and by by the mercy and by the by the, the grace of God they were able to get out second story is this there's one family one Polish family that we know that didn't get out they mm-hmm. could not get out and they were stuck there and it was this Polish it was this Polish lady she was Polish she's still alive today she's in her 90s and she's the first person that we met when we took a team to do a church plant in Ukraine. She was this older woman, and her name is Sophia, and she was Polish. She was 14 years old when, when that happened. And the communists came, and for whatever reason, they took her whole family, split it all up, and sent them all over the Soviet Union. And so she grew up as a 14-year-old girl with no parents. And she grew up in the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church was disbanded. It was illegal, and she grew up. But before that happened, 
she had this faith in Jesus Christ. It was very simple. And um, she, she had a very simple belief in the Bible. She would read her Bible. Uh, she, was, she was taken, before that happened, she was taken by the Nazis to be a secretary to, and this is a true story. We could write a book about this woman. She was to, she was to document um, every person, uh, their name, their age, all their data before they were executed. They're Jewish people. And they would line them up in a certain place in town where we would always go and they would be shot. And then that was her job to, to document all that information. And then when, when the Nazis were, were pulled away, communists came in. She was, she was captured by the communists. And um, she was forced at the age of 16 to marry a Russian guy who was a, dry, a chauffeur driver for one of the communist generals that were in the city. And she was forced to marry this guy at gunpoint. And, and so this communist... This communist general said, I, you, I want you to marry my, my chauffeur because he's not married. And at gunpoint, he's, and she said, no, I'm not going to marry him. And then at gunpoint, um, the, guy, the, the general said to her, to her, I will shoot you like a dog if you do not marry him. So she married the guy. Mm. And guess what happened? She trusted God. And this guy was like this unsaved atheist, like communist guy. And, and they had and somehow God came in, gave them a good marriage, gave them a child. And then he died shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And she raises up this great young man who we met and led him to Christ. And she became our first contact when we went there, right when communism was leaving Ukraine, and we were able to go in there and plant a church. And she was one of our first graduates of our Bible college. You know, we may not get out. We may not escape. Some people may escape. God may answer some people's prayers, and may, they may get out. But some people don't escape. And God is still faithful. If we're on the other side of that border, on the other side of that, on the other side of that thing. And I just want to say that, you know, uh, let's not be afraid of pain. Let's not shy away from it. But let's really dig deep and just listen to God and hear from God that in times of difficulty and pain, um, let's let's not look for painlessness, a painless Christianity. But let's live in looking at Jesus Christ and not being afraid of that kind of pain. This is not a very popular message, guys. This is probably why we don't have a, you know, a church of 5,000 people. I mean, I don't know. You know, you preach these kind of messages and you're like, oh, wow, you know, okay. So one thing is for sure, there's going to be tribulation in our lives. There's going to be hardness. But guess what? We have answers. And you know what I'm really angry about is that churches today, and I don't want to be sounding judgmental because we're not the only ones. We're not like the best here. I'm not saying that at all. It's just that we as the American church have failed this country in not preaching how to deal with suffering. We say, blessing, blessing, blessing. This is your year. This is your time to shine, right? That's our gospel. But that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is, in this world, you will have, tri- you'll have tribulation and suffering. But I'm with you. Be of good cheer. I am with you. Amen? Let's close in prayer.